0: so thankful God for the good news given to us in Jesus Christ and we're thankful for your word we pray that you would give us hearts to hear from you right now and that we would be humble and that our response would be to worship you in Jesus name we pray Amen So we're continuing our series through the book of Revelation. We took a little two-week break there for Easter, but we're going to get back into it. We're in the end of chapter 3, so that is the end of the seven messages to the seven churches. And since we're there, I thought I would give you all a little homework assignment to read Revelation chapters 2 through 3 sometime this week. That is the part where God gave messages to the seven churches. And at the end of each of those messages, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So each individual message wasn't just for the individual church. It was for everybody who would hear it, everybody who has an ear. So let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And let us hear that even this week as we study. I I, I don't want this just to be a sermon series where you come and listen to the book of Revelation, although I do want you to do that. Uh, But I also want you to be chewing on this on your own. So if you would take some time this week and read through Revelation 2 through 3. And see what the Spirit says to you. Today, like I said, we're finishing up this section on the seven churches, so we're going to be looking at the message from Jesus to the people of the church in Laodicea. And and just a quick note here, uh, every one of these sections starts off to the angel of the church. Do you ever wonder why is it to the angel and not to the church? Well, the word angel can simply mean messenger. So this was a message from Jesus to an angel, to a messenger, that was then to be given to the church. So that's why I think it says that. And as it says at the end, everyone who has an ear is supposed to listen. This is the living and active word of God. Again, given to the Apostle John, but given for us that we might learn who God is and how we should walk with him. Now today's passage was written, like I said, to the people of the church in Laodicea. Now, that city, Laodicea, was a city that was known for its banking. So economically, the city had a reputation for wealthy. There was even a story where there was a, a natural disaster that swept through that area, what we now know as modern-day Turkey. But it swept through the area and caused a lot of damage. And Rome came in then and said, we see that this, this caused a lot of damage. We would like to give you all some funds, all these cities. We want to give you some funds to rebuild your cities. And you know what the people of Laodicea said? No thanks. We don't need it. We're good. So that, that's kind of who these people were. They kind of thought that they had everything that they needed. Although there was one thing that they did complain about in that city. Their water. You see, they didn't have direct access to drinking water, so they had to bring their water into the city through aqueducts like this one. Can you see that that picture up there? For four miles, their water had to travel through stone aqueducts like that. And, And there was a problem with that kind of a water transport system. By the time the water got to them, it was lukewarm. So cold water is obviously refreshing for drinking, And hot water had its purposes too, for for therapeutic reasons, you could sit in a hot bath or something like that. But lukewarm water, nobody liked it. You had to either cool it down or heat it up for it to be useful, and in the days without refrigerators or water heaters, that could be a burdensome process, and the people of the city of Laodicea, they didn't like it, so they complained about it. Okay. So that's a little history there. Let's see what Jesus had to say to the people of the church in Laodicea. We're in Revelation 3, and I'll be starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this message in verse 14 starts out like the others, written to the angel, and then it has a description of Jesus. And here, the description of Jesus emphasizes his truthfulness. He is called the Amen. And by the way, that word Amen comes from a word that means truth or faithfulness. And then right there after that, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. So Jesus only deals in truth. He only lives according to what is true and right. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Isn't that good news? God doesn't change. God doesn't give a promise and then take it away because he feels different. And the verse goes on to say, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So you see how our response is to be to say amen, to agree with God's faithfulness and his truthfulness. Jesus is always true. Whether that was on his earthly ministry or in his reign in heaven right now, Jesus always lives according to what is true. But that is in stark contrast to the way that the people of Laodicea lived. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's in contrast with the way that we live sometimes. Jesus always lives according to the truth. We don't always do that. And as we move on to verses 15 and 16, we see that there was something wrong with the people of Laodicea. And... Jesus starts out by saying, I know your deeds. In all seven messages to the seven churches, Jesus is said to know what is going on. And may that be a reminder to us. God knows what goes on in our lives and in our hearts. We can't hide it. We can't pretend to live in the darkness thinking that God doesn't see. God knows what's going on. And here what God knew was that their deeds were neither cold nor hot. They were lukewarm, like that that water that the people complained about in Laodicea—that's what Jesus compared them to. And here it was so unpleasing that Jesus said he was about to spit them out of his mouth. Uh, some translations, I think, use the word vomit. It's not a not a pleasing reaction. Now, again, cold water was useful. Jesus talked about giving a cup of cold water in His name in Matthew 10. And hot water had its uses, but lukewarm water was disgusting. But this description isn't really about water, is it? This description is about people. So what does it mean, and this is one I want you to really consider, what does it mean, spiritually speaking, for a person to be lukewarm, spiritually? Well, for one, spiritually lukewarm people, they would probably claim to be Christians, right? If you were to put a survey before them, and on that survey you had a bunch of boxes like Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Atheist, other. A lukewarm Christian would almost certainly check the Christian box. That's what they would say that they are. But we know that true Christianity isn't just a matter of saying you're a Christian, right? It's a matter of living it out. And if we really know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it should show up in what we do. And for the lukewarm people of Laodicea, their deeds were neither cold nor hot so even though these people claimed Jesus they weren't living for him and I want to put a question up here and this is an important one if you're not living for Jesus who or what are you living for? and you know the, the most likely answer to that question if you're not living for Jesus you're probably living for yourself lukewarm people claim to know Jesus but they really live for self so let's think about that a little bit more They claim Jesus Christ. So maybe that means that they show up at church on Sunday morning because they know that that's what Christians do. But While they're at church, are their eyes fixed on Jesus to worship him? Or are they maybe thinking about what they're going to do the rest of their day? Or maybe these lukewarm Christians have just stop going to church because they've come up with this idea in their mind that they don't need it that they don't need the fellowship of believers that they don't need teaching that they don't need to, to worship together with God's people but let's think about other days of the week because it's not just Sunday that we're supposed to walk with Jesus uh, lukewarm Christians maybe they even spend time praying and reading their Bible because that's what they know they're supposed to do that's what their pastor always tells them to do you have a pastor like that isn't that kind of well okay um But have you ever noticed that it can be really easy to pray and not to think about God as you're praying? To just kind of say those same prayers that you've always said and call it good? Or have you ever noticed that it can be really easy to read your Bible, to have your eyes look at the words of the page and then close your book and not remember a thing that you read? You see, it's one thing to put your eyes on paper, but it's another thing to meet with God. And lukewarm people aren't really concerned about meeting with God. Lukewarm people go through the motions. It's like lukewarm water. It looks like water, but there's something wrong with it. So let me ask you some more questions, and we'll call this a spiritual temperature test. How much do you know that you need Jesus? Do you go through your day thinking about Him often? Or do most of your thoughts kind of just revolve around you and what you're doing? Do you rarely consider Him? Do you fix your eyes on Jesus? Do you worship God throughout your day? Or do you just mostly think about your stuff? How about in the way that you respond to other people when difficult times come your way? Do you respond in ways that honor God? or do you respond in ways that show that you're living for yourself? Do you spend most of your time thinking about God or you? Now, lukewarm people would be pretty quick to say that they follow Jesus, but in reality, they live for themselves. And I was thinking about that. And something that, that Dan mentioned earlier was something I was thinking about this week. He said that uh, you don't want to get too far past Easter. Not on the calendar, because obviously we can't stop that, but... We want to remember the truths of Easter. And what is the truth of Easter? Is the truth of Easter that Jesus kind of died on the cross? And that when he he rose again, he just kind of rose again? He's, He's sometimes dead, sometimes alive? No. He, in his love and mercy, took our sins, all of our sins, upon himself and died for us. Which is great news, because we'd be dead without it. And he really died. He went the full distance to the grave but three days later he rose again and he now lives forever he reigns forever and we see at the end of Revelation he's king of kings and lord of lords he's not just you know, a decent king among many kings or kind of lord he is fully king and fully lord and I think that one of the reasons that we should not live lukewarm lives is because Jesus didn't lukewarmly die for us or rise again from the dead he gave his life for us we should give our lives in following him. I love that song we just sang, At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. That should be our response. So that Jesus' death actually, in a very true spiritual way, becomes our death. And that the life of Jesus courses through our veins. And that every moment of every day, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the lives that God wants us to live. But if we go on to verse 17, we see something was very wrong with the people of Laodicea. They would say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. See, lukewarm people might say that they want to meet with God. Uh, They might say they have everything they need. But you know what? The most important thing isn't what we say about ourselves, it's what God says about us. You ever had the wrong impression of yourself? Uh, let me use the basketball analogy. I play basketball here, and this is one of my fears in life, but uh, ever had the, the thought that, oh, whenever the ball comes to me, I should be the one to take the shot because, you know, hey, I'm one of the best shooters on the team, so they've all given it to me because they want me to shoot it. And you just keep doing that, and then eventually your teammates come up to you and say, hey, uh, by the way, it's okay for you to pass every once in a while. Uh, I- I- any of you ever had the wrong impression of yourselves? Well, here, these people said they were rich, didn't need anything. Look what Jesus said. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Boy. Lukewarm people say they want to meet with God, but their life shows something different. So what do you do if that's you? What happens if you're sitting out here right now, and you're thinking to yourself, Boy, I I might be a little bit lukewarm here. I don't know if I passed the spiritual temperature test. And by the way, the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. In our own power, we would not be pleasing to God. But it's a different story if we follow Jesus. So I, I'm not saying this message to condemn you. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But what if you're sitting there and you're thinking, boy, I might be lukewarm. Well, I would suggest that you listen closely to what Jesus says in the next few verses. And please know this, that even though it looks really harsh, what he said up there, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I think that qualifies as harsh. That even though it looks harsh, it was said in love. Jesus didn't speak these words to condemn. He spoke these words to help the people get to a better place. And in verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. The gold refined in the fire, elsewhere in the Bible, that refers to the, the proven and tested character of people as we go through difficult times. As we cling to God, He transforms us. Like gold that goes into the fire, it comes out more pure. And similarly, the white clothes there represent moral purity. In the book of Revelation, it represents the, the righteous deeds that God's followers do as they follow him. And then salve there has to do with eyesight. Uh, remember in, in John 9, Jesus was talking to some Pharisees and implying that even though they claimed to see, they couldn't see because they rejected Jesus. But in that same chapter, Jesus healed the sight of a man who was born blind so that he could physically see, but also so that he could follow Jesus. So we're to, the, the people of see were to buy these things. And it's important that they were to buy them from Jesus. They couldn't use their money. Even though they were rich, that's not the currency that Jesus was talking about here. Jesus wanted to humble themselves and come to him by faith and get those things. He urged them to buy what they needed. And then the love of Jesus shows up again in verse 19. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. When God rebukes us, it is for our good. Even though it may not feel like it, we're told in the Bible that discipline does not feel pleasant, but it is for our good when God does it. So yes, there is a rebuke here because there is something wrong, and Jesus pointed it out. And and aren't we glad? If there was something wrong in your life, wouldn't you rather know about it so you could fix it? In love that's what Jesus did and yes it was discipline too and that word discipline has a negative connotation but the same word discipline also has a positive connotation it's the word used for how parents train and raise their kids to do what's right so it's the heart of the father for the child like in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 my son do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in so the goal here is that we would listen to the rebuke and get on the right track and think about that God wouldn't discipline us if he didn't love us so again if you're out there and you're thinking I wonder if I'm a little lukewarm today please know that God loves you and the reason that he gave this message to the people of Laodicea and to anyone who has an ear is because he wants you I think that's really neat And then the the rest of verse 19 told the people to be earnest and to repent. In five of the seven messages to the seven churches, you'll pick up on this if you read it this week like I've asked you to, uh, the message is about repentance. Repentance means turning away from what is wrong and turning toward what's right. And in the New Testament, the word has to do with what goes on in our minds. Because when we sin, every time we sin, we have come up with some idea in our minds about why It's okay for us to do that. Repentance means to acknowledge, no, it's not right for me to sin. And to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm sorry, that was not right of me. And then we go on to say, God, help me to live the life you want me to live. See, the people of Laodicea had a wrong impression of themselves. They thought they were rich and didn't need a thing. They didn't realize they were like that lukewarm water that they despised. So Jesus came to them with a message of love. A message that urged them to change their ways. And consider this again as we move towards verses 20 and 21. Jesus gave them this message because he wanted them. Now think about this. If we were to describe the people of Laodicea and maybe think about, you know, do I know any people like that? Well, here's what they were like. They were boastful, proud people. They thought, I've got it all. I don't need anything. I don't need any help from anybody else. I've got everything that I need. it sound maybe like they're bragging a little bit. But their actions didn't line up at all with their impression of themselves. So let me ask you this. If you were choosing friends and you came across a person like that, do you think you'd pursue that friendship? Or do you think you'd turn the other way and look for somebody else? What did Jesus do when he saw these people? He knew all about them. All about their wrong impression, all about their deeds which were not pleasing to him. What did Jesus think about these people? He wanted them. And that that is amazing. I hope you all know that. Uh, Whatever impression you came in here with about God, I hope you know that God loves you and wants you. Look at these next verses. Spoken by Jesus by the way every word in Revelation 2-3 through 3 is from Jesus Jesus says here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne Jesus wanted a relationship even though these people were badly off course he wanted them he was standing at the door knocking waiting for them to open up There's a famous painting done of of this verse, verse 20, and I want to put it up on the screens right now. Have you seen this this painting before? Picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. He's on the outside, but he wants to come in. And just stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus was on the outside. Who was this letter written to? The church. The, The church was going about their business, and Jesus was on the outside. Can you imagine it? Could you imagine, what would you do right now if you felt like you were in church and Jesus wasn't here? I I hope that we would stop and repent, or maybe leave, uh, but actually I would hope for more than that from us. I would hope that we would stop, that we would repent, and that we would do whatever we need to do to make sure that Jesus is with us. And it's really all about what Jesus has done for us. It's his invitation into a relationship. But can you imagine that? Jesus on the outside. Jesus is telling them here that they missed the whole point. And now, in verse 20, the picture is of him standing at the door, knocking. Now, it's often been said of this painting that something is missing there. Uh, There's no doorknob on it, right? Now, it could just be because Jesus, in that picture, is covering up the doorknob. But spiritually speaking, the reason it says that Jesus knocks and that we open is because that opening is to be an act of our faith in response to Jesus who comes to us. Now for me personally, this verse really helped me. As I remember first hearing the gospel message, first understanding that my sin got in between me and a holy God, it was this verse, I I remember it, There's parts of this story to me that are fuzzy, but this part is clear. It was Revelation 3.20 that the preacher was talking about that helped me understand that I needed to open the door of my heart to let Jesus in. And I just want to ask some of you out there, are are there any of you out there that maybe you've been going to church for a while, but you're not sure if Jesus is on the inside? I I remember that. It was uh, 1992, and I without question if you would have handed me a survey the, the day before of Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Jew, whatever I for sure would have checked the Christian box but in reality I was probably a lukewarm Christian at best and I heard the message that day that Jesus knew all about my sin and, and I, I said this last week, I'll say it again I didn't need any convincing that I was a sinner I knew that I knew that I had fallen short of God's perfect standard, but when I heard that God loved me so much that he sent his son for me to die on the cross and rise again, and that if I open up the door and receive him, that I'll have complete forgiveness and eternal life, I said to God, I'm not sure if Jesus is on the inside or on the outside, but I want to be sure today I want him in. And if there are any of you out there that are just unsure about that, I just want to urge you to talk to God today. And let me just talk to some of you kids for a moment here too. The the picture here is of Jesus knocking on the door. He wants in. It's been said many times that that door is like the door of our heart. And he wants in. And maybe you kids, maybe you've been coming to Cornerstone for a long time. Uh, Maybe your parents have done a really good job of telling you things about who Jesus is and about the cross. But maybe you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today and you want to let him in. And if so, you can talk to him right now and just ask him in. Our sin would have kept us from God for all eternity unless God stepped in. And in Jesus, that's exactly what happened. He died on the cross, taking our sin penalty, the penalty that we could never have paid off, so that anyone who receives him can have forgiveness of sins and a relationship forever with Jesus, And it's that relationship that's in view at the end of verse 20 where it talks about Jesus coming in and eating with us and us with him. And by the way, it's not just about Jesus coming in for a meal and then leaving. The word picture is of Jesus coming in and we do life with him. And if you go on to verse 21, to him who overcomes, Jesus will allow us to sit on his throne with him. We see that this invitation into a relationship with Jesus is meant to last forever. That he... This is amazing. He wants us to be with Him forever. He knows all about us. He wants us to be with Him forever. And what I love about this is that Jesus didn't come to people who deserved this. He didn't come to people who had it all figured out. He came to people who were so lost that they didn't even know they were lost. And if you think about it, that's the worst kind of loss. People who don't even know how badly they need a Savior. And that's exactly who Jesus came for. They hadn't been thinking much of him. He thought so much of them that he died for them and for you. So this is an invitation for sinners to be with Jesus. And we are to respond by opening the door. It says in verse 21, To him who overcomes... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne the only way that we can overcome is in Jesus Christ he is the one who has already overcome we can't overcome in our own power we can only come to him and if we do then we overcome with him so again if you haven't yet received Jesus if you haven't yet opened the door now is the time so that's one application of this message if you haven't yet opened the door to Jesus please do it right now But then I also think there's application for us who already know Jesus. Because I think it's possible as we go throughout our lives to live as if he were on the outside. It's possible for us to become lukewarm in our faith and to stop living according to the ways that God wants us to live and to start thinking more about ourselves. And I think that there's an application here. And the idea of Jesus knocking on the door is maybe a good reminder for us that the best life for us is the one where he's on the inside and where we do life with him. So this is a wake-up call. Th- these people in Laodicea, they thought too much of themselves. They didn't think they needed anything, but in reality, they needed to repent. And that should be our response in humility. If there's anything wrong in our lives, we should always be willing to repent. So our response, i say it this way. We should think of ourselves less and think less of ourselves. Does that make sense? Uh, We should think of ourselves less and that we should think about Jesus more and then we should think less of ourselves and that we should probably have a lower view of ourselves and a higher view of who Jesus is. We should be like John the Baptist who said in John 3.30 about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. I love that one. I think there's a reason why Jesus had such high praise for John the Baptist. Jesus must become greater, I must become less. We often have a wrong view of ourselves, but here's what's really cool. Again, if we think about this word picture of Jesus standing out, outside the door knocking, what happens when he comes in? It is total heart transformation. We are transformed from that displeasing, lukewarm water into something that is useful for our Master. He doesn't just come in and keep telling us how bad of a job we're doing at things. He comes in to change our hearts and to make us more and more like Himself, more and more like Jesus Christ. So it's amazing to think of what Jesus can do for us if He comes in. You see, uh, I was thinking about it this way. The point of this message is not that Jesus said at first, oh, you're so disgusting, I'm going to spit you out. But then a few verses later, he changed his mind, so he knocked on the door and said, after all, you know, I changed my mind, I want a relationship with you anyways. No. He knew that they were like that lukewarm water, but he also knew that if he came in, that he could change them. And that's what Jesus can do for you. He can totally transform your heart and turn you into someone who is pleasing to God and useful for his purposes. But that's a big if. Will we let Jesus in? And once he's in, will we walk around with him? In our benediction verses, it will say in just a few minutes here, the ones we say every Sunday, it, it says that those who have received Jesus as Lord are to continue to live in him, or literally, we are to continue to walk around with him. The best life for us is the life where we do life with Jesus, where we eat with him, and eventually get to sit on his throne with him. But in our passage today, there are two options. It's either the total rejection that we see in verse 16 of Jesus spitting out the lukewarm. So if you're lukewarm, don't stay there. But the other option is where Jesus comes in and changes us. Jesus is pictured as standing at the door, knocking. Will you open up? I want to close in prayer now, and I just want to give opportunity, if there's anybody in here who you're just unsure whether Jesus is on the outside or the inside. um, Now, it's true that we only need to ask Jesus in once. We only need to go from death to life once. But for some of you, you just might be unsure of whether that's happened or not. And if that's where you're at, I just want to urge you to talk to God. And the first part of my prayer today is going to be a prayer for people who hear that knock of Jesus on the door and want to open up and let him in. And then after that, I'll pray for everybody. So if you want to receive Jesus, uh, just repeat after me silently uh, in your own heart. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you know that, that even though I'm a sinner, you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that I am a sinner. I pray now to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, the one who died to forgive me of my sins. And I pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Master and King give my life to you God help me to walk around with Jesus for the rest of my life and then God um, for the rest of us or for all of us who know Jesus we pray that you would strengthen us to walk around with Jesus we thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to come on the inside to eat with us to live with us we pray that we would live with him that we would walk around with him Would you please strengthen us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live the lives that you want us to live? To honor you and to be useful to you for your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.